You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey everybody, it's Adam, live and in person for you. Hey everybody, it's Adam, wonder who he'll interview. What do Patti Lapone and Clint Eastwood have in common with Jersey Boys star John Lloyd Young? They both have taught him life lessons. In the second part of my interview with the Tony and Grammy Award winner, I talk with John Lloyd about all the life lessons he has learned from Broadway and beyond. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with John Lloyd Young. So let's move into lessons learned. Um, So what is one mistake you made early in your career that became a life lesson you take with you to this day? Uh, Can I say this like a like a broad generalization you could see yes listening to the wrong people so many people will give you advice when you're starting a career in the arts and a lot of them don't have the right intentions so one thing i realized really early on in new york before you get into the before you really find your peer group in terms of like talent level and you're and you're just trying to you know, um, find your footing. There are a lot of people who will give you sort of dissuading or like not really, or maybe even unintentionally misleading advice who are working out their own disappointments Mm. in their head about what they've gone through in their life. And so you can end up getting advice that actually is counterproductive. So be careful who you listen to. That's great advice. And listen to yourself. I think that's the lesson I learned is that listen to yourself. You have a vision and you know you're good at something. Just keep like that little bubble in that game that works itself up the maze through this to the top. Mm-hmm. Just trying to work your way up to the top like that little bubble and be, you know believe in yourself. I hope that's a good answer, Adam. No, that's a great answer. I love that. Um. Have you ever been fired from a show? I haven't been fired for a show, but I have, but there's, but there have been, there's a time or two where I haven't been asked to continue with something when it moves forward. And what did you learn from that moment of not being asked to move forward? Well, in, in the case that I'm thinking of now, so I don't want to name names because it's not nice and it's unnecessary, especially when it's lessons learned. The lesson was, I didn't like the material very much and almost like a baby that doesn't like broccoli that turns its head back and forth, you know, trying to avoid the spoon. Mm -hmm. I think that you can tell that with an actor who's not, who's out of place Mm. and doesn't like the material or it's not the right fit. I think you can all tell. And so um, let's just call it dodging a bullet. And then, Mm -hmm. and, and so, oh, you know, Bonnie Hunt said something once when she had that talk show that she had for a little while. Oh, yes. Rejection is God's protection. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you might feel bad that someone moves on, but actually you agree with them. You don't want to move on either. And, and in retrospect, I agree with that, with what happened in that situation. Mm. That's a great way to look at it. And, um, you know, like, like you yeah. said. You know what Learned I realize now, Adam, that years later, mm-hmm. your time is very valuable. 
and you and and especially for theater people mm-hmm. when you sign up for a theater production you are trapped there for good or for bad you have make made a commitment it is all very difficult to do other things mm-hmm. you have given in in you know if it's a nonprofit or something you've given at least two months of your life to something right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you better want to do it you better like it yeah um and in the very beginning it, it's probably not a good idea to turn work down because you learn something from everything you do mm-hmm. but down the line especially when you have other choices it doesn't make any sense to take on something that you're not going to like so mm. you know um that, maybe that's another lesson learned too. Yes, yes, I think so. What is the biggest thing you've learned about yourself? I have learned, and this is, uh, you'll be able to relate to this, you know, being around and being a theater person and being around them. It's an extroverted field. Mm-hmm. You're expected to be extroverted. When you get up on a stage in front of thousands of people, you would think that that's an extroverted activity. I am a classic and very entrenched introvert. Mm. And I've learned that about myself. I think that what breaks me out of it is that thing that I alluded to earlier in our conversation about you're in service of the audience, right? So if I were, and let's make a very basic metaphor. If I were a kindergarten teacher and and I had to go out and get the attention of a 25 year olds, I would rise to the occasion. Because it's my duty to wrangle that group of five-year-olds, right? Right. As an entertainer, it's your duty to wrangle that audience of grown-up five-year-olds who still want to be entranced like a five-year-old wants to be when you sit them down in front of a cartoon. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that's how I get around something that is antithetical to our business. Mm. Um. I don't like attention for attention's sake. Mm. I prefer attention for excellence mm-hmm. and then leave me alone. You know, like, so like <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, you remember that famous line in the, in, in, uh, hello 12, hello 13, you know, from chorus line. Yeah. Dance for grandma, dance for grandma. Oh my God. If you ever want me to get up and sing at Thanksgiving, like leave me the hell alone. <laughs> or like if I'm at a Broadway show, like Hair, you know, a few years ago when they did Hair and they all come out in the audience and tr- interact with you, I'm like, stay the frick away from me. Like, no, I'm here to watch a show. I'm not working. Leave me alone. I don't want to be a part of it right now. You know, so mm-hmm. it's a very, I've learned that about myself, but I also now like it about myself. And that took a long time because you feel out of sorts. It's There's a lot of peer pressure. Even people are even unaware of it because it's such an extroverted business. Yes. Um I really like myself now, Adam. Did you ever have trouble um, going out on stage um, because you are such an introvert? At any point, did you ever like, like I know like um, I've heard stories about like Estelle Getty, how she like got so nervous when the live taping came uh, on the Golden Girls. Um, You know, even though she was hilarious, she just had um, that kind of anxiety. Did your introvert, did being an introvert ever cause anxiety to go out on stage no um because in the, because in the situation where i'm any situation where i ever am ready to go out on stage i've rehearsed and i know what my purpose is and i know what my duty is and sort of, and so and my duty is to serve the audience to serve the play whatever and i've signed up for it you know the only time my introversion gets the best of me is 
when I'm confronted with like an audition for material that I just don't like. Mm. I have a really hard time rising to the occasion when I don't like the material or I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And again, like that baby that turns its head to side to side when you offer it broccoli. Yeah. I have a very hard time hiding my dislike for something that I don't want to do. Mm. So I'm a bad cheerleader if I don't <laughs> believe in something. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so my greatest anxiety is when like an agent calls with some audition and they really want me to go for it. And I'm like, I don't like this. And if I got it, I wouldn't want to do it. I know it's like, it's, it's a strange dynamic. So many people just want to do everything and I just, I can't do it. So uh, it's, I'd rather work on my artwork, you know, Mm -hmm. do some of the introverted things that I do study. You know, I'm a big, I'm still, you know, I was an Ivy leader. I still Mm -hmm. a student. I taught myself to write in Chinese, you know, wow, time, you know, and, and lots of, uh, you know, calligraphy and notebooks on plane flights around the country to do a concert, you know? So yeah, uh, that's the place where the anxiety comes out. When someone wants me to do something so badly, audition for something, be in a lineup of some charity thing or whatever that I don't want to do. And it's sometimes even social things like where Mm -hmm. I have to go in like uh, into a situation where, where a lot of people, you know, would quote unquote work the room. I'm like, uh, I'd rather sit in a corner, you know, Mm. um, or not go. Are you in a position now where you you can turn more things down? Like like you were saying, like if you don't, um, you know, like if you get a call for an audition for a commercial or something that you don't really want to do or some kind of event, are you more in a position now to say, just to say no? I think because I have other areas of my career now that are constantly going, concerts or artwork, because I I'm sell the artwork too. I mean, I've been... In, I, you know, I started in galleries a decade ago now, so it's mm-hmm. not like a hobby. It's an actual, you know, money right. for me too. And so um, because I have other areas to pivot into, uh, I always feel like I have a choice. Mm-hmm. I don't want to insult people though too. Again, like I told you earlier, it is a, at minimum a two-month commitment with no room for anything else if you're mm-hmm. going to do a show. A right. show of anything, uh, uh, let's say a, a scripted show with rehearsals and whatever performances, mm-hmm. at least two months. Yeah. So it's, um, and I don't want to waste anyone's time. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I'm like most actors, like I don't want to have to audition anymore. But you, st- but I do. I'm not the career level, or I don't. So, so um, it's, it's it's complicated. It, I guess it's case by case. And <laughs> the worst case scenario is that your agent or whoever gets annoyed because you seemingly don't want to do anything but the but i have a really busy and active life it's just in areas that an agent doesn't have much to do with sometimes mm-hmm. I mean, an agent doesn't have anything to do with my art shows right uh so that's a little inconvenient maybe sometimes for them you know i'm not, not like a jonathan groff who is never not working <laughs> never not working that guy is amazing his agent yeah. have to love him never not working and yet until Hamilton, you know, you can say that he was well known necessarily for one role, you know, mm-hmm. now he's now everyone knows him as King George, you know. Yes. So, yes. And speaking of Clint Eastwood a little earlier, uh, what did you learn from working with him? I mean, he's had such a career. Clint Eastwood is as American as Mickey Mouse. Like mm. you, Clint Eastwood's face in any corner of the world is instantly recognized and instantly um, connected to a certain rugged uh, American uh, type of man, you know, 
um, he's a brand, as mm-hmm. you know, I, which I don't like to kick around because I think that's obnoxious, but it's true. He has walked on water since he was in his 30s mm-hmm. in this business. He's, first of all, a lot of people don't know this, the G5 like private jet that Warner Brothers owns, he's uh-huh. first on the list. If he wants to use it, he he is, you know, whatever you'd say, first right of refusal to use that. For whatever reason, this actor slash director is the top dog at Warner Brothers still at what, 90 years old now. Yeah. So what I learned from him was when you meet someone like that, you can tell they've walked on water forever. You can tell that most people are afraid to tell them no. Hmm. But he is, I'll tell you, I've seen worse behavior from somebody who is a assistant music director for some show on Broadway that hasn't even gotten to Broadway yet, or like a workshop or something. I've seen worse behavior, more entitled behavior from people who are, haven't even established themselves yet than I saw from that man. Hmm. If, if he gets up to the craft services line for lunch or whatever, he stands on line behind all the people he's employed to be in his movie. Or wow. all the, the crew, everything. He's humble in the right ways. I think it was a nice lesson that you can get to the highest level and still behave decently toward people. Yes. And, yes. and, it's, and, and that's how I am and want to be. And But again, like another lesson I took from Clint Eastwood is when people give you blatant disrespect, mm-hmm. then, you know, I'm a brown belt in Kung Fu. I could kill someone with my bare hands. I won't. But knowing that you can, you know, it's like you you can fight for yourself or especially if you see someone abusing other people, like I can't handle it when someone is horrible to wait staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no yeah. tolerance for that. And I, you know, one time I was out, remember Angus McIndoe restaurant? Yes. So that was a big hangout when I was doing Jersey Boys. And one time I was out to lunch, out to dinner with some people who were going to give a lot of money to a charity. I was on the one hand as the star of Jersey Boys having a dinner with people who were going to be giving to a charity I cared about. On the Uh other hand, they were horrible to that wait staff who I knew because I was there a lot during my between shows on matinee days or whatever. And also, you know, a lot of waiters in New York are six months from when you see them, they could be in a Broadway show themselves. Uh So I know this group of people. And I was so mortified that I left like the entire wait staff, like a $700 tip or something. Wow. And, you know, and I wasn't even making that much in the show yet at that mm-hmm. point, and, but I was mortified and I really wanted to soften the blow of that. Well, I'm sure that, I'm sure that did help them. Oh yeah. Oh I, yeah. yeah. Like a, a year before Jersey boys, I was ushering at 42nd street for the same producers who didn't have oh, wow. my name until I was starring for them. Wow. So I, I know what it's like to be on that side of things in New York. I mean, yeah. if you think about Cinderella stories for New York actors, like mm-hmm. I'm one of them and I'll never forget it. You, you know, yeah. uh, ushers everywhere, I'm sure to this day say, did you know John Lloyd Young was an usher? Mm-hmm. I, I'm happy to be a, a, a an usher who made it. You know? Yes. So what I did in New York was... Um, uh, temping in banks like that big Morgan Stanley in Times Square. Uh-huh. I used to temp uh, a graveyard shift. And I also did transcriptions of news. You know, one of the first things they do when they do an interview with someone for like ABC News or whatever is send the raw interview to a transcription service so that 
you can go in and look at the transcripts to find the quotes that you want to use. And you don't have to forward and rewind through the tape, you know? Oh, wow. So you have to write in everyone's coughs or sneezes or whatever. So they, they know if there's a clean, the, if the, if the money quote in the interview has a sneeze in the middle, they usually can't use it. So they right. want to see that visually before they start to go into the tape. Oh. So I would listen to all this raw news. It was fascinating. And, um, and a year later, I was starring in a big hit Broadway show, and I had learned from all these interviews I listened to how to give one. You know, from Roger Ebert, for example, if he was giving an answer in a recorded interview, and he made a mistake in the middle of his sentence, he didn't say, oh, sorry, I screwed up, oh, let me start over again. He just stopped and started the sentence over again. Mm. And I so basic techniques like that I learned just, you know, you never know what you're going to learn in these quote unquote survival jobs that mm -hmm. you have as a young actor. But I learned some pretty good things. I learned some things about investing when I worked in a bank and I thought it was the worst job you could possibly have as an actor. Now during COVID, I look and I saw all my, most of my concerts disappear and I'm like, well, good thing you learned how to invest when you were in your early twenties or else you'd have nothing right now. So, mm -hmm. You know, there's always something to, what'd you say? Lessons learned. This is the section. Yes. There's always yes. a lesson to be learned. Yes, definitely. Right, you have the right attitude. Yes. Yes. And speaking of being a brown belt, um, I mean, what did you learn from all of the work you had to put in? Because the, the little bit of karate, I mean, I, I, I took karate when I was a kid and I mean, I did not make it very far. I think I got to a high tip white belt. Like that's how quickly I stopped. Uh -huh. But it's a, it's a, I know it's a lot of work and a lot of discipline. So, I, I mean, to get to the level of being a, the brown belt, what did you learn about yourself or discipline or work from that experience? I learned that uh, as a kind of Broadway baby type person who has to sink or swim on like a dance combination or else you don't get the part or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. don't get me started on my first auditions with Sergio Trujillo for Jersey Boys. I mean, I thought I was dead in the water because he's a top <laughs> choreographer, you know, and I was not a trained dancer. So that was probably the most scared I've ever been. Mm. Uh, and then he ended up being my biggest ally of everyone involved in that. So I love him. But that kind of sink or swim thing about even trying to pick up combinations when you're not a dancer, but a lot of shows in New York require you to go through that at least until they see you're not a dancer and they're like, oh, okay, he's the actor who sings, and you know, but you still have to go through the humiliation, right? Mm -hmm. I realized that in Kung Fu, because I was used to the idea of a combination that you'd never seen before, that I, that learning the forms in Kung Fu was kind of an, and, and that discipline was natural for me. And then what else I learned was how to kill someone with my bare hands. Wow. <laughs> which, which then, you know, uh, and I'm a little guy and I would never would have played Frankie Valley if I wasn't, but I could take down a six foot four guy, you know, like knowing that you take down, take someone down if you had to mm -hmm. is, um, can we overstate anymore what a confidence builder that is? I mean, yeah, I stopped being afraid of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. A lot of things. I didn't even expect to stop being afraid of certain things. I was like, oh, knowing you can kill someone with your bare hands, is uh, it, it, it takes away a, a lot of worry in life. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. Just well, I hope never to get alone, Adam. The metaphor by itself is just um, powerful. Yes, yes. 
Well, I hope never to get on your bad side. To but, you, but the other thing, but, right? But you, but you know, maybe from a little bit of karate, that you win a battle without having to fight it is actually the most satisfying way to win a battle. And so, someone yes. knows that you could kill them, and so you don't get in a fight in the first place is always the the more zen kind of um, wise path to take. So, I don't want to ever kill anyone, and I wouldn't want to kill you if we got in a verbal altercation. Yes. Yes, but nor would I want to be killed. So, <laughs> you, you and I both. Yes, yes. Before we get into more lessons learned, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll hear about even more lessons you have learned. Then I'll end with my famous question. So don't go anywhere. We have lots more with John Lloyd Young. Priceline presents Go to Your Happy Price. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. You can see yourself already there. It's beautiful. It might be sunny and sandy for some, neon and urban for others, deserts or rainforests or hiking trails. With Priceline, you can get to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else. Like up to 60% off select hotels to Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to Priceline.com and travel to your happy place for a happy price. All right, see ya. I'm off to Miami. No, actually, wow, look at that. No, I- I'm going to Hawaii now. Ooh, Cancun looks nice. You know what? Belize looks pretty nice this time of year. Or, mmm, Palm Springs. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. For the fourth year in a row, Don is partnering with iHeartRadio for Can't Cancel Pride, a campaign that has raised over $11 million for the LGBTQ plus community. Don continuously strives to celebrate visibility and inclusivity for all, and that means supporting amazing organizations like Centerlink, providing safe spaces where over 52,000 community members go each week to receive critical and life-saving services. Don is there for your home, or your home away from home. So visit can'tcancelpride.com to learn more. Hey everyone, my name is John Lloyd Young and you're listening to Bearing It All with Call Me Adam. And now we're back. So as I mentioned before break, let's continue with lessons learned. What is something that you learned out of the ordinary from a co-star? This is something I didn't want to learn and I don't think is very nice and I think it's actually changing. But you probably know or you might remember that early on during Jersey Boys where I was doing this out of the ordinary kind of singing for a Broadway stage, every time that there are shows in contention for Tony's, and you know, best musical is the difference between touring all over the country or world and millions and millions of dollars for a show or not, right? So Mm -hmm. everyone wants that best musical. Every single angle that they could find to take down Jersey Boys, they were doing. And at one point, there there was a month or two there where they were trying to say that I wasn't singing. Mm-hmm. Which of course would have ruined the show if that you know because Broadway's brand promise is live performance, right? There, yeah. there were rumors going around, and Michael Riedel was taking shots at me, and it was like the best work I'd ever done in my life, and the hardest work I've ever done with my in my life. Someone was trying to say it wasn't authentic, and I was beside myself, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And so I reached out to Patty Lapone because I thought Patty Lapone would be, you know, she's been through it. I thought she would have something to say to me that would make me feel better. Message she sent back to me was, welcome to Broadway. (laughs) That didn't help me feel better at all. So the lesson I learned was, Broadway is a mean little place. 
And most of us who've been around, we know it can be a really mean little place. The audiences love it, love it, but behind the scenes, it can be all about Eve or mm -hmm. worse. Mm -hmm. What I am encouraged about now is with the BIPOC stuff that's going on and the Me Too that was happening right before COVID and now COVID, which has forced a kind of wisdom on us that we might have never have had to have. Mm -hmm. That on the other side, maybe if someone comes to me and says, oh, there's these rumors or something hurtful is happening and you know, I'm doing my best work and yet I'm getting attacked. Someone comes to me, I'm, my answer is not going to be welcome to Broadway. My answer is going to be, oh, you have support. That's not permissible anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, there are people to tell and there are people who won't accept it anymore. And including a whole crap load of us who won't allow ourselves to be sexually harassed anymore mm -hmm. or whatever, all these things that have happened that are positive steps in the right direction. And what did Joe Biden just say to his appointees? He virtually swore in. If you demean or insult anyone, you're fired. Mm -hmm. Everyone deserves dignity. Now, yes. if that's the way it has to fly at the White House, why should Broadway be able to get away with it? You know, little old Broadway. Broadway's a lot less important than the White House. So mm -hmm. I think that we should expect uh, to be treated with respect, too, if we give it. Yes. Yes. So uh, anyway... I don't know if that's the answer you thought you were going to get, but little I mean, old I, Patty Lapone, she set me up. She At least she didn't mince words. I knew what I was in for. I was like, okay, you're on your own with this. You're going to have yeah. to find a way to get through this. And I did, but I can't say it wasn't painful. No, I'm sure. Especially when you have such you know a, a talented voice like you do to have someone come at you to say, you're not even, you're not using it. You're not, you know, it's like. But you know what's funny, Adam, is that these like, for example, this live stream, when people tune into this live stream, there's no place to hide in these small spaces. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I started playing small spaces that any of those people might have held on to the pipe dream that maybe there was some fake singing going on or whatever in a big Broadway show where millions of dollars, you get away with it. No right. one's, no one's, when they're sitting five feet away from me at the Cafe Carlisle, then they know whether mm -hmm. you're an amazing singer or not. Right. And, and luckily, you know how many at bats I've had in tiny little rooms, including, you know, for Joe Biden and Barack Obama on the Hill. You know, I sang the karaoke tracks in a freaking living room for mm -hmm. a fundraiser. That's how I got to know that administration in a freaking mm -hmm. living room with people sitting on the couches and chairs. You know, these this motley group, you know, arrangement of furniture. They were 10 feet away from me. So it wasn't until years after Jersey Boys that those rumors were disproved because of uh, of not have being spoiled with all the technology and literally being five feet away from people. Well, I'm glad you got to dis dispel the rumors and- I mean, that's the price I had to pay for the big success of Jersey Boys was a little bit of lies and Thoreau said envy is the price all distinction must pay. And so yeah. you, uh, you can't succeed without suffering those slings and arrows. And, and I'm less sensitive now than I was then. Oh my God, I was so sensitive. I was so upset. Imagine you're an usher a year before. You do everything right. You pay all your dues in New York. You get your first big role based on talent. And you you know a year before you were ushering people to their seats. And then the year later, you're busting your ass on Broadway and fucking excellent. And then they say you're not really doing it. I mean, yeah. oh, it was devastating. And, and I'd never been through anything like that before. No one gives a shit about 
an out of work actor. That's mm-hmm. what I was a year before a year before that, you know. No one teaches mm-hmm. you how to deal with that. Right. Pretty lonely learning how to deal with that. But now you'll be able to impart that and you did. I mean, impart that wisdom onto somebody else. So hopefully no one else has to suffer the same way. Yeah, and you know, it's a generational thing too, right? So Patty Lapone, who's a totally different generation, she might say when something vile is happening, welcome to Broadway, like there's nothing you can do about it. But mm-hmm. our generation, me and younger, are not don't put up with flagrant disrespect. Like right. we are, I mean, the whole idea of being woke is no, my talent should be enough to be treated correctly at work. I'm a professional. I'm a member of a union. You're paying me. The audience is coming and they're enjoying what I'm doing. I'm helping you make your money. Mm-hmm. Just like Barack Obama said, you didn't build that. Can you imagine some of these Broadway producers, if they got up to try to be the star of the show, it'd be a like fucking joke. No. <laughs> they do what they, they're in their lane, I'm in mine, and I deserve respect in my lane. So I think we're going to see an, a nice renaissance in terms of the behind the scenes culture of, across the board in this country. I don't know about you, but I'm exhausted from the national leadership the last four years. It's just yes. so spiteful and negative every single day. Why would I want that when I go back to work after COVID lifts? No. Why would any nope. of us? Nobody. I mean, Do nobody I know would want that. Let's let's make a pact right now, Adam. Us yes. and all the listeners who are in this business and want to be in it. We turn our backs on abusive people, even if they're yes. our boss. That's the only way it's going to change. Yes, and that's uh, true. I'm with you if you're with me. I'm with you. Solidarity. I'm with you. <laughs> because I wouldn't want to be in an environment either where um, that's abusive. I mean, nobody does. So, uh, well, I mean, we're, we're going to we're going to combat it. We're going to change it and make it nicer and the old generation yes. is going to say, "But do, do you know what I had to deal with?" And we're like, "Well, we're sorry you had to deal with that, but progress means the younger generations, you know, Yes. From the fights that you had to put up with. Well, my last question in this section is, um, what have you learned from playing your favorite game on your phone? Yeah, I don't even have one game on my phone. I've never looked at my phone as something to play games on. And maybe that's good because I might have wasted a lot of time instead of like, you know, self-development. And I just I use my phone for podcasts when I'm working on art. Uh huh. I can't look at stuff. I have to I'm using my hands and eyes on other things. And I use it for uh, texting and, you know, and and I guess looking at the internet, like news or whatever. But I didn't even ever think to use my phone for games. Mm. Probably, like you said, it definitely saved you a lot of time because I know how much time I spend playing games. I mean, I enjoy it, so I don't necessarily mind. And when I get to a point where I'm like... Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, when I, where I get to a point where I'm like, I could be doing something else, then I put it down and go do something else. You know what, though? I, I, ha- I have to make a little adjustment to my mentality here is that I live in Los Angeles. So when I'm commuting, I'm driving mm. and usually driving myself. So I can't. But I have, to, I have to remember now because I haven't been in New York since everyone had a smartphone. I've lived in L.A. for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but remembering myself in New York on commutes absolutely 100% if I were taking the subway to work and I would be using my, I'd be using my phone for games. Yes. Yes. So I can, I'm not judging it. No, no. (laughs) Um, Well, that's the whole section for lessons learned. So we are up to the end of the interview and I always end my interviews uh, 
playing off of the title of my podcast, Burying It All with Call Me Adam. Now, you have revealed a lot already this hour, but if you could bear it all and reveal something about yourself that you haven't talked about previously, what would you share with me today? This is going to be a bombshell for you, Adam, I think. Okay. And this is also part of becoming older. I don't want to get serious, but okay. let me just put it this way. I'm going to say it obliquely, but but I'm I'm being very forthcoming. Okay. Bisexual people exist. Mm. How do I know that? And in the politics of LGBTQ people, there's a B in there. And very few people are willing to say that that's who they are because gay people think you're a liar or a coward and straight people still call you faggot. Mm. So this, it's, it's very tough to have the presence to say, no, I'm sorry, some of us are bisexual and we exist and don't erase us. I think that that's uh, probably something that um, I haven't heard a lot of people say. Well, thank you for sharing that. Well, I, I think it's monumental that um, people are out, you know, yes, <laughs> even yes. if it's unpopular and even if people are going to call you a liar or a coward, you know, I've had yeah. 45 years of, of that, you know, I think I should know by now. So yes, yes, there you go. There we go. Well, so thank I you. I guess so that means we could have a dinner date maybe sometime. Yeah, we could. Just kidding. I'll have to I'm check take, with my I'm, boyfriend. But... I'm taken. Okay, so you, so are you. But just, yes, just yes. Go. But if I if I'm allowed a pass, then we could maybe have a dinner date. <laughs> we'll have a dinner date anyway. It just will be a friendly one. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And where can everybody find you on social media? Uh, John Lloyd Young, no spaces, no punctuation um, on Instagram. It's it's not verified so yet. So. There are other ones. So you know it's me. There's little sunglasses after John Lloyd Young, all one word, no spaces. And then uh, uh, Twitter is Genuine JLY. Go follow John Lloyd on social media so you can keep up to date with all of his live streaming concerts and other performances. Also, remember here at the Broadway Podcast Network, we have thousands of hours of art and theater-related podcasts. So... Keep listening. He'll get the dirt and the scoop and the story for he happens to be in the know. Just ask anybody who's had him at all the for the business of show. Call me Adam.com. Find more episodes of Bearing It All with Call Me Adam everywhere you stream podcasts. For my print and video interviews, visit my website, callmeadam.com. Follow me on social media at callmeadamnyc on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And finally, if you really want to get involved, support my podcast on a deeper level by becoming a member of my Patreon family. Visit patreon.com slash callmeadamnyc. There, you'll get a variety of backstage perks, including advanced notice of interviews, the ability to submit a question to my guests, and everyone's favorite, swag. Get moving in the most adventurous Honda vehicles yet, like the Pilot and Passport Trailsport or Ridgeline. Honda, the 2022 Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com Best Value Brand. For a limited time, well-qualified buyers can get a 3.9% APR on a 2023 Honda Pilot, a 0.9% APR on a 2023 Ridgeline, and a 2.9% APR on a 2023 Passport. 
For great deals, visit your Dakota Land Honda dealer today. See dealer for financing details based on 2022 brand image awards from Kelly Blue Book. Visit KBB.com for more information.